there's there's a there's a few few open seats in that in that row, so just just take one. Uh, you know, I if if I sit over there, then I might have to talk to somebody, and you know, I would know what to say, and and uh, I don't want to climb over anybody, so I think I'll just sit in the back, maybe. No, man, hey. Uh, I got this thing from uh, Mike put together, this little card thing. Maybe it's a good time to let you know about this. Is don't just come to church, be the church. Ooh, is that some kind of fat joke? No, it's not a fat joke. It's not about us being a building. It's about a body of believers, those who trust in Christ, working together and fellowshipping together. That's what it's all about. Uh, you know, I kind of, I guess I've heard about that, but I'll tell you what, Steve, that sounds like a lot of work, a lot of work, you know, and, and I'm not a morning person. I mean, it's only nine, it's only 1030. I'm, so uh, I think I'll well, just sit hey, back here. Okay, let, let's just, let's just humor me. So the, there's a first one here, just walk down that row and just sit kind of close to that person. And then after the service, you can introduce yourself to them. I mean, I, I think you might be wanting to introduce yourself to them anyway, because I think that guy can help you fix the leak in your roof. Really? Kind of looks like an office guy to me, but... Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Isn't, isn't that funny how when you look at somebody across the room, it's really hard to tell what they're really like. Uh, I think you should just go introduce yourself to them. Come on, you, you can do it. You can do oh, it. Oh, uh, Steve, I am terrible at introductions. Oh. Okay, here's a tip. Tell him your name and ask him what his name oh, is. Oh, I'm even worse at names. Well, he is too. <sighs> yeah, well, now what? Okay, well, he's probably got a family. He's probably got a neighborhood. He's probably got a job. He'd probably like to talk about any one of those things. Next thing you know, you're going to lunch. He's telling you how to fix your roof. You're giving him some landscaping advice. And I know the guy wants to be in a small group, and so you could just invite him to be in yours. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right, I'm going to refill my coffee, and then I'll, I'll probably do that. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks. All right. Be the church. Yeah. All right. At, at this time, uh, we'd like to just recognize the elders would like to have... Uh, Maybe yeah, you get to come back up here, buddy. <laughs> Jeff's supposed to do this. So I'm supposed right. to do this. Well, thanks for humoring us with our little silly skit, but... Um, um, right now, we want to do something that's kind of kind of fun. Uh, Kevin and Don, your family coming up. Rose, you're some. I saw you come in. Where are you? Way in the back. Come on up here, sweetie. Would you please? Um, these guys, we we've they've been to our our uh, um, uh, church membership class. We've met with them, heard their testimonies, and and uh, so we're just doing the official. We're welcoming you here as as members of Creekside. So after we get done, well, I'll give you the secret handshake, and then you will be official members. But. <laughs> Actually, um, so, so being part of, of Creekside family just means that you're, you're here, you're going to be uh, um, using your gifts and your talents here at Creekside to help this family do what God wants us to do in Urbandale and Greater Des Moines and for his world. So, uh, so we are glad to have you guys here, and, and I'm just going to have a little prayer right now. Gracious Father, first off, we just thank you so much for your great love. We thank you for uh, giving us a family that we can be called your sons and your daughters. And what an awesome thing that is. And, and speaking of family, we thank you for our Creekside family here. And we thank you for these folks that are, are saying, yes, we want to be part of this group. We want to be part of this family. And we want to move forward and just do what you want us to do uh, here in, for your kingdom here in Urbandale. So, Father God, we just thank you for these folks. We just thank you for their gifts and their talents. And we would just ask that you would help them to be able to use them to, to further your kingdom and for your honor and your glory. So we just thank you for them, ask your blessing on them, their families, and we ask all this in your son's holy and blessed name. Amen. 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 Right, welcome. Welcome. Well, welcome. Yes. Uh, if you're part of our regular church family, I'd encourage you to 
take a moment just to welcome them into our church family. If you are a guest here and this is your first time as an attender here, I just want to welcome you and let you know that you're welcome. I just want to ask you to do something for us if you feel comfortable doing that. In the seat in front of you, underneath that seat in front of you, there is a little card that says uh, welcome and I'd just like you to take that out if you could and fill it out and then as the offering is passed in a, in a few moments then uh, we just ask you to uh, put that in there and that's all we'd ask you to put in there. There's a couple of other announcements that I need to call to your attention. Uh, first of all, I want to let you know that we're going to have a parent baby dedication coming up here a week from today. So if you're a parent and you want to, you have a young one that you would like to have as a, do the dedication thing, please contact Megan in the church office. We've got a little paperwork to fill out and uh, then we'll have that planned. We're having a baptism. We're planning a baptism on the 4th of February. So it's not an outdoor baptism. It's an indoor baptism. And so we're going we're gonna to do that, just uh, maybe. And so uh, if you're interested in that, please contact Megan. Again, uh, we got to get things set in place for that. And tonight starts the next round of our small groups. So if you're interested in being in a small group, you're not in a small group right now, please talk to the, the folks out at Guest Central, and they'll write your name down, and we'll get your name uh, to our small group leaders, and hopefully we can get you plugged in, and we'll be going with that. Okay? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to uh, pass out the be the church card so uh, you'll get a you got to be the church card you can use it as a bookmark in your bible okay father thank you for uh, the blessed privilege of being a member of the body of christ and for the chance to be a part of, of this local assembly i pray that your spirit would work powerfully in our hearts for your glory i thank you for those who are new into our our church family officially members and i pray that your blessing would rest on them i ask now lord that as we take up these gifts you'd use these gifts for your glory and for the advancement of your cause here and around the world we pray in jesus name amen you know the offering is going to going to be passed around now uh, I'm just curious, a show of hands, how many of you guys have had a cold in the last two weeks? Raise your hand if you've had a cold in the last two weeks. All right, now you know who to move away from. I'm one of those people as well, so I apologize for my, my voice this morning. It's a little uh, froggy, but, uh, you know, we all come here. Some of us are, are battling sicknesses or just getting over sicknesses. Uh, and some of us are dealing with hurts and uh, struggles on the inside that no one else can see. And uh, so we have a chance to come here to remember what's true, uh, to remember what's right, and to remember what Jesus has done for us. And this next song is, uh, hopefully it's pretty easy to get. We've sang it a couple times. But it really kind of speaks to that truth that Jesus is our Redeemer. I'd ask you to pray with me, if you would. Let's pray. Father. We thank you for the privilege of worship, the privilege of being here this morning, and I ask that you would meet us where we are, beginning a new year, ending an old one, uh, struggling through colds, uh, struggling perhaps through the cold. Give us grace, keep us focused, and help us, Lord. Perhaps we're here this morning searching and seeking or skeptical and antagonistic or just blah. I just pray that you would speak 
your word to us as you see fit to meet our needs and to draw us to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was wondering this morning if uh, you received a text message, like just say right now you get a text message and you actually look at the text message and the text message is, okay, immediately after church, your parents are going to be at your house, your in-laws, your family member, your brother, your sister, somebody that's really important to you, they're going to show up immediately after the service. Okay, for young people, it's like your parents are going right into your room right after the service, okay? They're going to come and they're going to just going to show up right in your room. I wonder if you had that knowledge, if it would affect the way you dealt with things immediately after the service. Like, would it change the way you acted? If you knew that immediately there was going to be these people at your house, at your place, or in your room, that their opinion of what was going on there mattered to you at all. I'm guessing, I'm assuming that most of us would think, yes, I've got a lot of things to pick up. I've got a lot of junk on the counter. I've got a lot of stuff on my bathroom. (laughs) Oh, don't go there. Uh, You know, whatever. Most of us like to think and like to have our, our dwelling in order and we like to have our demeanor, you know, appropriate or proper when company arrives. I remember when I was a kid, one time we were in the house and we were just kind of goofing off after supper and my, my dad started this whole thing, so I'll blame him, but we had some grapes and so we were throwing the grapes in the air, you know, and, and catching them in our mouth. And so the whole family, you know, we're all throwing the grapes in the air and catching it. It's in the summertime, you know, so the door's open. And next thing we know, there's a knock at the door, and somebody had been standing there watching our whole family, uh, you know, uh, catching grapes in our mouths and chasing them on the floor, you know, picking them up, washing them off, trying it again, you know, whatever. It's like, whoa, that's really embarrassing, you know. And most of us feel, and so... As we, as we kind of get back into this series that we began before Christmas, this possess what you profess, the next section that we come to in 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 3, it's John kind of leverages this natural tendency that we have to be wanting our house in order to do things properly and appropriately when company comes to motivate believers to live rightly in anticipation of Christ's coming. Because company is coming. And when company comes, what will our state be? How will we be found? In this next section of John, 1 John, and 1 John beginning with chapter 2, verse 28, through chapter 4, we find a revisiting of some of the same tests of the proof of our faith that we saw before in chapter 3, beginning here, chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3, we, we revisit this, this moral test, the obedience, the righteousness. Are we, are we living out? We know we possess what we profess if we live rightly. 
Then we move on into chapter 3 a little bit further in verses 11 through 18, and and the the love test comes back. Are we loving each other? That's the way we know that we're really in the family of God, is if we're loving one another. And then as we move into chapter 4, there is the, the doctrine or the Christ test. What do we do with Jesus? That gives indication of whether or not we really are in the family of God. But in chapter 2, verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 10, we'll deal with the next part of it next time, we're looking at our response to the coming of Christ. Here this morning, the future coming of Jesus. How does that impact believers? And the way we live in light of Jesus' future return is an indication of whether or not we're really in the family. Then next week, it's, it's kind of out of order. It's the the first return of Jesus. How do we respond to the first return of Jesus? And our response to that is an indication of whether or not we're really in the family. And so I have my Bible open to 1 John chapter 2, and I invite you to do the same because I'm going to read the text because in this text, John reveals three ways that the future appearance of Christ, the future appearance of Christ motivates us to live righteously. And it is our righteous living that is the proof that we possess what we truly profess, that we are his children. So I'm going to read the text, then we're going to look at these three ways that John lays out for us how our understanding of Jesus' future coming motivates us to live righteously. Chapter 2, verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, Now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. The first way that I see in the text that, that we're motivated by the future coming of Christ is this command to abide in Him. We are to abide in Him. That's the way that He points, at, points to us to, is to abide in Him. And now we're picking up where we left off in chapter 2, verse 27. Look at the last phrase in verse 27 of chapter 2. Abide in Him. Abide in Him. So it's not something we're, we're new to, but what does it mean to abide in Him? What is He talking about? He says, and now, immediately present, you little children, that term of endearment, the people that He cares about, professing believers, abide in Him. It's a command for ongoing intimate connection. Ongoing intimate connection. And continuous drawing on His strength. I wonder, you know, as we start a new year, it's like, okay, you got some New Year's resolutions. you got some things you're going to do. How much of that, or is there any part of that, that has to do with our abiding, our intimate, ongoing connection with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that's what he's talking about here. Earlier this fall, 
at, at our new house, we, uh, we cut down some trees. No, we just cut down the limbs, okay? We cut some limbs, trimmed some limbs off of the branches because they were abiding in the tree, but we cut them off so that they're no longer connected. They're no longer drawing nourishment from it. And Jesus has said elsewhere, and John, knowing Jesus, first John, or John chapter 15, verse 5, a very familiar verse, and Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So we're supposed to abide, he says abide. And then I wonder, how can we abide in him? What does it mean? How can I abide in Christ? How can I let the gospel, the reality of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, that is the gospel of salvation, take root, sprout, grow, and bear fruit in my life? How does that happen for believers? Now, there's a lot of different answers to that question. I'm just going to give you my thoughts on it right now. It involves an awareness of the truth coupled with an application of the truth. You see, I cannot abide in Jesus only by knowing the truth. I abide in Jesus by knowing and doing the truth. So it begins with an awareness of the word, time in the scriptures. We looked at this passage before in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I wonder, for us, for you, is there any time in the Word? Letting it dwell richly. That means to reading and ruminating. Now, I hope you don't, um, again, I'm, I'm a farm kid, so that rumination thing comes from cattle. You know, cattle ruminate. They, they chew their cud. They chew the food over again, okay? Do we, do we chew on the Word? You know, as you're riding down the highway listening to the radio and the Christian music playing, do you ruminate? As you think about what you read from the Scriptures, do you think about it, meditate on it? Does it take time to come into your, into your life and soak in? I was canoeing one time on the St. Croix River, which is uh, along the Minnesota-Wisconsin border. And it was in the summertime, and it was beautiful, and yet the, the river was kind of like this reddish-brown color, and I'm kind of going, ooh, that's kind of gross. But the water was actually clear, so it was kind of like, you know, I don't know, gold tea or something, you know? It was like just kind of weird looking. And so I asked the person, that one of the people there, and they said, that's because the trees fall into the river and they have tannic acid in the trees and so the trees soaked with tannic acid makes the river that reddish brown color well does the word of god soak into our life and give us the flavor give us the color of christ so that we are reflective of that in our life the truth of god's mercy and his forgiveness that fills us spills from us into obedience for him. So what fills you? What fills me? I heard a missionary speaker one time, and he says, what, what, what spills out when you're bumped? Think about that for a while. Wow. When I get bumped, 
you know, the person cuts in front of me in the car or uh, somebody's mouthing off and uh, they're, they're critical of me, then what spills out in obedience when the, when the Word of God fills us? So then the first is the time of the Word. Secondly, there's obedience. This is how we abide, how we let the reality of the mercy and forgiveness of Christ impact us and stay connected to Him. And I, I just saw John 14, 21, and it's one of my favorite verses. Because Jesus, he who loves me, he it is who loves me will, uh, uh, oh, I'm getting it wrong. Um, John 14, 21, he says, uh, i got to look it up now, drawing a mental blank. I know that never happens to you. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth fruit, for much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Is John 15, 1 and John 14, 21. Boy, I'm struggling this morning. Okay. Here he says, John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and get this, and disclose myself to him. That's what I like. It's when we're obedient to God, then he reveals more of his word to him, and he reveals more of himself to us so that we begin to abide in him more deeply and more fully. So this is the obedience part. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, I told you about uh, the corn and beans in the, in the rural areas that it grows up. And when the corn and bean grows up, then it shades the row between it and it chokes out the weeds. When the Word of God is abiding in us and we're obeying the Word of God, then it chokes out the sin in our life. And then we are abiding in Christ. And there's other things that are contribute to this abiding. It's a, a time not only in the Word, not only in obedience, but there's time in prayer. In Colossians 4, Paul says, be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. In an attitude of thanksgiving, you know. And I'm thinking, not just about saying, you know, grace before the meal, but I'm thinking spending time with the Lord and listening to what he has to say to us and going before him and letting our hearts pour out to him so that we can get to know him better. Do we spend any time at all just praying to him? I wonder if it's just, well, I don't get time for that. Time with other believers. Hebrews 10, you know, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But spend time so you can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. I don't know about you, but it's just interesting that as I spend time with, with certain believers, just really get me juiced up about my walk with God. They just encourage me to keep growing and maturing. and They challenge me with what they say and what they do. And I go, wow, that was a blessing to be in their presence. It's a blessing to be around them. It's just an encouragement to be with them because what they say encourages me. What they say challenges me. This is what it means. Then we're abiding in him. Satan knows, you know, so I ask you this morning, what is it that Satan uses to keep you from abiding in Christ, to being constantly connected with Christ? Some of you, it's your children. So you need to maybe get some help with your children. Some of us, it's our job. Some of us, it's Facebook or Twitter 
or Snapchat or Instagram. Some of us, it's TV. Some of us, you fill in the blank. What is it that, you know, if I got to get this done, if I, if I, you know, Jesus is down here and everything else is, is, is up here. Sometimes it's school. Some of this is talk radio, you know. Uh, it's the, so just think about it. I, I'm going to put Chad on the spot. Chad, how long does it typically take uh, an, an, uh, a runner to get in full cardio shape? Five to six years to get in full cardio shape, okay? How long does it take to get out of shape? About two weeks. Isn't there something unrighteous about that? I mean, it's like, I, I mean, I was thinking a little shorter time. I'm thinking like about six or eight weeks to get, you know, and maybe I'm not, I'm not running near it as far as Chad is, but, you know, so it takes about six or eight weeks to get in, in, in that kind of shape or years. And then like three days later, you know, if you go try to run, it's like, oh, oh my, what happened? Well, our walk with God is not much different. It doesn't take long to get out of sync with the Lord. It's a constant pursuit of righteousness that God calls us to as believers. And, you know, it takes constant attention. So go back to Bob's message last week. Is there anything we need to pack uh, to keep us going in this thing? Or is there anything we need to pitch that's, gonna, that's preventing us, that's dragging us down? From doing it. And then if you look at the end of verse uh, 28, you're in first, at 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 28, the end of the verse says that we might have confidence and not shrink back. It's the reason why we are abiding in Him, is so that when He returns, we can be confident and not ashamed. I remember pulling in the driveway at our house and I caught one of our children red handed in uh, blatant rebellion. And it was like, oh boy. They, did, they weren't very confident. I mean, they, they just kind of slithered around, you know, like a dog that got caught doing something, you know, its tail between its legs and just kind of slunk around to find a hole to hide in. Is that the way you want to be when Jesus comes back? Not me. I want to be confident, not arrogant, but just confident that he finds me living as best as I can. It's imperfect, but as best I can. And that's what Paul says is that, you know, or John says, you've got to do this, abide in him so that when he comes, you don't shrink back. Jesus gave us some instructions about how to prepare for his return in Luke chapter 12. And we're going to look at a few of those. You can't read them maybe very well because I put it in too small a print. But be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight and be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on alert when he comes. You too be ready for the Son of Man is coming for an hour, at an hour that you do not expect him. Like getting a text that you're getting company immediately after the service. It's an hour you don't expect it. It's when you don't expect it and he's coming. So how should we live? We should be ready for him. And then 
Verse 29 kind of elaborates on the necessity of right living in light of his coming. He says, if you know that he is righteous, which we do, you know that everyone who also who practices righteousness is born of him. The children reflect the character of the father. There is a a basketball player that I know of, and I was sitting at a ball game, and he, he, he just really has this really bad attitude, you know? It's just kind of really, it's really kind of annoying to me because he, he's like a big crybaby. And so anything doesn't go his way, and he's rolling his eyes and doing this stuff and, you know, just like this. And there was a, a gal sitting next to me at the game, and, and she's a teacher in the, in the school, and she knows this, this child, this student, and she also knows the student's father, and she told me the student's father is exactly the same way. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Are we like our father? Those who are righteous, everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. There's the test. Those who are righteous are children of the righteous one. And so he says, in light of his coming, we should live rightly because that's who he is. And he says they're, they're born of him. Now, uh, the, the pronouns in this section kind of seem to me to go back and forth and are intertwined because born of him here, I think, doesn't mean Jesus because it's, that, that phrase is, is never used of Jesus. It's almost always used of God the Father. So they're born of God the Father. They're born of him. So I wonder, do I merely profess faith in Christ or does my action, do my actions prove my faith in Christ? Now, it doesn't mean you never make a mistake, you never sin, but am I moving in a trajectory towards Christ-likeness in, in my life? And then, it's kind of fascinating to me how, how John, he uses this phrase, born of him, born of God, and that kind of sends his mind into this, this thought about praising the one of whom he's born and why he's born of him. And that's the second way in which he, he motivates us to live rightly, which is an appreciation for God's love. So notice verse 1 of chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. So he's mentioning being born of him, and that leads right into this idea of, hey, take notice, which is the word see. Take a look and see this. How great, now the ESV says what kind of. The word is, is almost always used of, uh, refers, it's something that you, you make a big deal about, okay? How great, how you contemplate the astonishment of it. It's like I said, if you go to the Grand Canyon, wow. Somebody from Hungary asked me, this is, what is, what is it like to go to the Grand Canyon? What's the Grand Canyon like? I said, it is breathtaking. It is breathtaking. He says, see, contemplate, think about how astonishing the love of Christ bestowed upon us is. I think the magnitude of God's mercy 
is accentuated in light of our own unworthiness. Only as I come to more fully understand how unworthy I am of what God has done for me in Christ, do I appreciate more fully the magnitude of his love, what, he, what he's done for me and for you. If you have your Bible, just turn over to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. He says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be that propitiation, that atoning sacrifice. We had nothing to do with, oh, well, we really loved God. And so that there was some reason why God would love us is because we're just such loving people. Absolutely not. We're messed up. We're like sheep going astray, each one turning to his own way. We deserve death. He died, sent Christ who died in our place so that all we do is trust in what he did as the payment for our sin. That is his love for us. We deserve death, but we gain life. Read Ephesians chapter 2. We're children of wrath, and he made us children of the Father alive when we escape his punishment. His love becomes particularized and personalized, then it becomes precious. When I understand that he did it for me, and I understand how much I don't deserve it. Folks, I don't know. I would ask you, I ask myself, to think about how unworthy I am of what God has done for me in Christ. Why should I be in the family of God? It's nothing I did. It's nothing I deserve. And we like to think that we're really, you know, important people. You know, we like to think that we are, we're a big deal. And a friend of mine tell me that he told a group of people, he says, I'm kind of a big deal. He was totally joking. Uh, but we're not a big deal. But God's love for us is a big deal. We are now and for eternity. And so this song, I think we're going to sing it in a, in a little bit, but how deep the Father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And we are wretches. All our righteousness is as filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. And yet he would love us and he would send his son and he would die for us so that we could become part of his family. Think about how deep the love of God is for us. And he gives us his spirit to seal the deal. And he says, at the end he says, and, and we, that we should be called the children of God. You know, it's not so hard to call somebody. You know, you say somebody, I'm, I'm a... I'm a fan, you know, I'm a Cyclone fan or I'm a Hawkeye fan. But he says, no, you're not just called that. You are a child of God. It's not just that we're called children of God. We are. That's our identity. It's who we are in Jesus. We are his children. And, because, and he says, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The world doesn't know the Father, doesn't know the Son, doesn't know those who are born of the Father and the Son. They can't. 
read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He's just, just I don't get it. And they don't get us. But that's okay. That's their loss. In fact, the world hates us. The world hates us. I don't, you know, we don't like using that word, but they do. Isn't it interesting? In the world in which we live where tolerance is king, the only people you can be intolerant of are people who name the name of Jesus. And that's okay for most people in the world. Why is that so? The Bible says so. They will hate you because they hate my Father. There is one final reason John gives us for motivation for right living in light of his coming, and that is the anticipation of his coming. In verses 2 and 3 of 1 John chapter 3, our conformity to Christ takes place at two different times in this section. So in this text, in these two verses, we see the conformity of Christ to Christ is to come in two different uh, instances, but it's interesting that they're out of order. The first one is at his second coming. So if you look at verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared It has not appeared yet what we shall be at his second coming. We shall be, but we know that we, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. Now, we're children of God, which is interesting if you look at 1 John, because we've been talking about know it, possess what you profess. And now we're saying we know we are. We are children of God. So there's, a, there's this interplay between, I don't know for sure if I am unless I have met the test, but then he says now, yeah, you are. We are children of God. If we name the name of Jesus, we're walking along with him, we are settled. But who we are is not apparent to the world, and what we shall become is not apparent to us. The world doesn't know us, and we don't even know ourselves. We don't know who we shall become. But when he appears, we shall be like him. Notice again, he appears. That's the driving force behind it. It's when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The exact nature of our state as redeemed people in glory remains a mystery. I have a couple pictures of my family. Some of you know my family. Some of you don't know my family. Uh, I think. Do I have those pictures? Yeah. So uh, up here in the... The first shot up in the upper left-hand corner is my oldest son and uh, his youngest, younger sister. And then there's all three of them are in the upper right-hand corner. But these are my children as young children. Now, who they shall become is a mystery at this point. Now they're, they're grown and they're, they're adults. And uh, my son is married to his wife who is on uh, his, your right, okay, our right. And then our youngest daughter's in the middle, and then our oldest daughter is on the far left. Now it's a little bit more apparent what they shall become. Well, if we're believers in Christ, it has not yet appeared what we shall be until glory. We don't know. The the world doesn't know us now, and we don't know who we're going to become in glory. But God says, in light of that, we still need to live rightly as those who are his redeemed people. When Christ appears, we shall be like him, full of grace and full of truth. Because that's who Jesus is. 
The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we beheld His glory, glories of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. He's the guy who is merciful and compassionate. That's what He said in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. That's His self-description. Wow. Meek and humble. I got a long ways to go. And one day, it has not yet appeared what we shall be, but we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is in glory. You see, not until Christ appears will what we are predestined to be will become the reality. We will become like him. You know, here's the deal. Most of us look at ourselves and we think, well, this is the finished product. This is as good as it gets. No, no. Be encouraged, folks. If you're here and you know Jesus, you're not done. And he's not done with you. And he's not done with me. That should be an encouraging thing, not a discouraging thing. We are work in progress. And Paul said it in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work and you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, there it is again, when he returns. So we're in process. So don't rest on your laurels and say, yeah, well, I'm just in process. You know, that's just the way I am. But we keep pressing ahead, as we were reminded last week. When I look at our house, which is in the middle of remodeling, it's discouraging, you know, because it just doesn't look like much. But when I think about what it shall be, then I get encouraged. Think about what we shall be when we are with Christ. That should be a source of encouragement. So, his second coming, but you know, and then before his second coming, we are being conformed into his image. At his second coming, we'll be fully like him, but before his second coming, we're being conformed to his image, and that's verse 3. And everyone who has this hope, what hope? confident expectation that Christ will return and we will be like him for we shall see him as he is says in in the text purifies himself oh you mean I have to do something yeah purifies himself isn't it interesting the Bible never says it's all God's job or it's all my job (laughs) it's like God works in us and through us and for us and with us to be, make us who we are in Christ. So what do I have to do? Uh, yeah, you know, we looked at this passage before. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That's First Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 3.18. We do our part. We purify ourselves. In James chapter 4, he says, you know, that, that we should submit to God and resist the devil. You know? We have to do some stuff to purify ourselves. Titus chapter 2, we looked at this passage before too. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, oh, there it is, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should what? We should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Why? looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we're confident and not shrink away at His coming. 
And he's working that in us. I like what Ironside says. It's impossible not to be weaned away from the world when your heart is occupied with him. Abiding in him. Accepting his love and the world's rejection. And then anticipating his coming. I don't know how much the return of Christ really plays into your daily thought life. If I'm honest, not nearly enough for me. Company's coming. At any time. That's what the Bible says. So how should we live? You know, when Marla and I were dating, we were just before we were married, we were living in the same town. We had a long-distance dating engagement relationship because she was in Nashville and I was in Warsaw. She was in dietetics internship and I was uh, in seminary. And so we had, and that was in the days when you, you 55 mile an hour speed limit on the freeway, you know, and she was in Nashville about eight hours away. We didn't have cell phones, you know, so we made one call a week to talk to each other and we had to limit that because cha-ching, 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 and both of us were poor and not making any money. And we lived in the same town. Guess what? My demeanor changed. I mean, I could know that she could show up at any moment to the trailer in which Jay and I lived, and that was a motivating factor to keep the place cleaner than we ever cared to keep the place. You know. I mean, ramen, ramen noodles, and, uh, you know, that was standard fare, you know. Uh, just boil some water, throw in the noodles, half the salt flavor packet, throw in some frozen peas, and you have supper. And then you leave the dishes piled until, you know, you don't have any more dishes, and you have to do dishes. Christ is coming, and we should be motivated. So I want you to contemplate if you will, with me this morning, and make, contemplate the love of God for us. And some of you may be skeptics, you may be antagonists, you may be critics, and you say, what should I contemplate? Contemplate the love of God, because in, only in Christ is, is there real purpose and meaning. Only in Christ is there the satisfaction that your soul desires. Only in Christ is the real answer to the ache in your heart. Courage to press ahead in the midst of difficulty. Well, you can, you can try all the other stuff you want. You can inebriate yourself. You can get drunk on TV or donuts or whatever you want to. Krispy Kreme. That's not going to solve the problem. You can buy more stuff. It won't satisfy you. But Jesus Christ will. And contemplate his love. The righteous God made it possible for a rebellious man to have purpose and meaning and pardon in peace and a future with him. God did love the world. Then confess. You know, I mean, some of us, you know, we got junk. We just need to, you know, un, uh, you know, trash some stuff and pack some stuff so we can abide in Christ. That's the answer. Is abide in him, that righteous life. And I don't know, just, uh, you know, maybe make one, one commitment. One commitment in 2018 that will enable us to more consistently imbibe something I will just, I don't say you have to give something up completely, but just maybe pare it back a little bit. So you got time for Jesus.
You see, righteousness is not made possible without a relationship with, with Christ. And so as we celebrate the elements of communion, we take these elements, what we do is we are actually contemplating the depth of God's love for us. How deep the Father's love that he would send his son and we break the bread, demonstrate and illustrate his body broken and we drink the cup as a remembrance of his blood shed. And I hope and I pray that it doesn't become routine because we do it every week. Isn't it interesting? Some of you have been critical of other denominations because they do these things out of tradition. And they do it every week, and they do it every week, so it doesn't mean anything to them. Beware. Repetition can breed complacency and indifference, and I hope and I pray that it doesn't. So there's an invitation in these elements that if you've never fully, personally trusted in Christ and His death as a payment for your sins, that you would invite Him to be your Lord, acknowledge your sin, turn from it, and trust Him. And as you take these elements, you celebrate what He's done for you. And those of us who know Christ, it's an inspiration, a time of reflection, how deep the Father's love for us, that He would lavish His love on us. And so I pray that that would be the end to which you do it. Our praise team will come. They'll sing. I'll have the elements there. As God leads you, you come and you take these elements only if you are sincere about your walk with God and you're remembering Him. And nobody feels compelled, but everybody's welcome. Christ has done for us, uh, that compels us to do something for Christ. It's not just about what all we have received, it's what we have received that God wants us to share. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you loved us enough to send your son. We rejoice that as believers, you're coming again, Lord Jesus, and may that motivate us to live rightly as we seek to abide in you and to appreciate your love for us and to anticipate your coming and understand you are conforming us into the image of Christ at your coming, but you're in the process of doing it now. But Lord, help us to be mindful of the love of Christ and how we want to share that with a lost and dying world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you, you are dismissed.